Hello, hello. Um, I'm back. And if you're hearing this, you're back. And welcome back to High Time for Change. It has been many fortnights since we spoke, and much has happened. And I'm going to try to condense it into a couple of manageable shows because it's a lot. Not only have I gone through a lot, but I've realized a lot. And I think what I've realized is really valuable to me and possibly to other people. Um, So I'm just going to dive into what's been going on. Um, Let's see. What's been going on is I've been going through a lot of really serious life changes. Um, I'm going to break it down into pros and cons because there have been great things that happened. Um, The great things that have happened during this little period. I mean, I guess I just did a show on like April 5th. I thought it was not that long ago, but it's a while. So the rest of April and basically all of May. Um, during this time, my relationship with my ex-husband has gotten a million times better. Not that it was ever bad. We are best of friends and great co-parents and have respect for each other. And everything we do, every move we make is to help each other and our kids. And we're still going after the brass ring that we were going after when we got married and had these kids. Just things happened in between and we're still family and we're still doing everything we can to do the best for each other and ourselves. So that's been awesome. Um, it's always touch and go with my kids. You know, they're all early teens and going through all these, you know, biological changes, which they hate when we bring up, like, it's not a teenage phase. Like just say and welcome the fact that this horrible, aberrant, depressive, bizarre, bratty behavior is in fact a phase. Please make it a fucking phase. Okay. So, you know, the kids have been up and down, but overall it's positive because every time we have something that we get over together, then we're moved forward as a family. We've evolved more. So that's great. Um, my relationship with my mom and my sister has also gotten really good during this time. Um, I owe my entire life and especially my post life, which I'm in right now to my mom. Um, if she didn't devote so much of her time to getting me everywhere I need to be, um, taking care of my medical health with me, um, customizing things to fit my issues now. I mean, she's just an amazing person. She's a caregiver and she's very much like me in certain ways and totally opposite of me in most of major ways. But what I've come to realize through this last year is my mother is someone I should be emulating. She has a lot of strength, but she endures everything quietly and gracefully. I am never going to be able to endure things quietly. I can endure them more quietly though. That is sort of my new motto, say less. Not on the podcast, just in life. You know, you ever see those memes where it says, girl, quit typing paragraphs. Um, He don't care, you know, blah, 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 blah. Don't waste your feelings on people who ain't even reading them, girl. And I read those (laughs) and anyone who's ever corresponded with me and even anyone who's listening to me, but definitely in writing, Everybody knows that I wax poetic, wax pissed off, wax and ecstatic. Just whatever I am, you're going to hear about it and exactly why. And it's going to be full of non sequiturs and it's going to jump around. It's going to make extremely circuitous connections that make sense mostly to me, but also to others. And they weren't all people on drugs. So she has a way of going through her life without putting it on the front page. And it's not out of shame, it's just out of grace and privacy and peace. And shit, she's got it going all along. You know, she's 
she's had the key all along and I just spent my life thinking we're so different. She'll never understand me. She doesn't love me the way I need to be loved. Yeah, she does. I just didn't see it the way I needed to see it. So there's that. And also, you know, my sister and I have reconnected about, I don't know, two, two and a half years ago. She had to distance herself from me when I was at my worst and on the street because she had her own issues going on in life and her threshold for bullshit and pain was reached. And my mother had done the same thing and I don't blame any of them. My life was so fucked up at the time and they were so scared for me that my mother took down a professional portrait of me that was hanging in our dining room and hid it because it was too painful for her to look at. And that can tell you just a small vignette of what I've done to my family and what I'm trying so hard to overcome now. Anyway, stopping crying. Um, I've had some much needed time for physical and mental rejuvenation and you'll hear about that continuing. And really, you know, <laughs> I've heard ma many things from many people during my hiatus. And let me just reiterate, I did not mean to have a hiatus. Okay. I'm very committed to this project, to my recovery and to all of the causes that I've discussed and said, we will discuss. However, um, certain circumstances in my life started to change rapidly that showed me that I was still keeping things in my life that were not healthy for me and or trying to do new things in a way that seems healthy, but really has a lot of my old bad habits hidden in it. I'm really trying to excavate the depths of all of my motivations. I mean, when you have been living a life of uh, mental unrest, that, I mean, that's basically how I can term my life, mental unrest, emotional unrest. You know, I've been living in a, a war-torn you know, country in my heart and soul for many years. That is biological, it's hereditary, it is situational, and it was also a lot of my choices. It's so vast that it's hard to take apart, but that's my favorite thing to do. I love true crime, I love genealogy, I love etymology, I love plants, I love mysteries, I love anything that you can break down, compartmentalize, and get to the bottom of. You know why? Because I want to know why everything happened to me, who did it, why did it happen, what role did I have in it. I actually want to know those things now. I've tried to think about those things, sit down and make an appointment with myself, you know, okay, Lindsay, pause Netflix and put the phone down and stop smoking or stop rearranging the room or, you know, all that. And just be alone with yourself and think. And it's terribly hard. It's not only hard because I have attention deficit. It's also hard because I have, I don't want to fucking think about that. And you have to, or else you're going to either stagnate or go backwards in a different way or the same way. I don't know. A lot of people ask me, and especially my parents, especially my dad, not my mother. She doesn't say this stuff. My dad says this on maybe a sev several days a week basis. Do you miss that life? Um, do you think you're ever going to go back out there? You know, do you miss all the, you know, high flying, blah, 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 the sexy guys? Yeah, I totally miss the good times. That's why I went there, to have good times and not bad. And stuff the bad away, hide the bad cover it with so much more bad that it was uh, no longer visible, allegedly, but it was actually more visible. So I've been taking this time to get back to myself, meaning the things I would do if I was alone and nothing was expected of me and I was supposed to be having relaxation time. 
You know, I was trying to put myself in a self-imposed isolation, which is very hard for me to do. You know why? Because every single thing about me is built around what I am to other people, not who I am to me. I have a big, huge issue stepping away. You know why? Because there ain't shit over here. When I step away, it's just me. I hate me. I love me. I don't fucking know who I'm going to get one day to the next. There are days when I spend the time alone and I'm just absolutely in heaven. You know, I've got Cheez-Its and I've got drink packets and I have a TV in my room now and a Netflix and all kinds of shit. I've set up the room with, you know, ambient lights and, and every creature comfort that I have been obsessed with my whole life. I've made a nest for myself. And that's only unique because I'm not in a space that's my own right now. I have always felt transient. I have tried to keep stuff packed up. You know, it's not just now, it's, it's the past couple years. I normally still keep a large number of things with me when I go anywhere, like a really big purse, like things like hygiene, like what if I never am able to get home again? And that's just a, that's something it takes a while to get over when you're recovering from homelessness or housing insecurity or a abusive environment that you're kicked out of a lot. It's just, it takes so much to convince you that stability is here to stay. And while I've always felt completely safe in my environment, I felt like a stranger and an exchange student or a, you know, <laughs> slow, uh, you know, person living in quarters that were never even known of in a house, just sealed away. I just feel like I am here, but not here. And I wanted to be completely here. So that's why I've been rejuvenating myself because I was utterly and totally depleted without even realizing it. I was looking forward to school, loving doing the podcast. You know, I have a relationship where I really love the guy, even though it's very, very challenging for circumstances out of both of our control. And I just wanted to be present with that and happier. And I realized that a lot of things in my mind were holding me back. Um, there have been a lot of really legitimately negative things that have happened to me recently. Um, I'm not going to divulge all the details because they're boring, annoying, personal, and I'm sick of them. But I received another pretty serious diagnosis um, that regards why I have just chronic excessive pain. I'm in a huge amount of pain all the time. Of course, being a former drug user, I do not receive any pain meds. Um, the only way I can manage my pain or anything about me is medical marijuana and the medications I am given, which are not narcotic. I'm not seeking narcotics. It's just I'm in narcotic pain. But because of what I've done in the past and the other health problems I've caused myself, like liver disease, I can't just be sitting here on, on painkillers all the time. Even though my life is very limited by not only the pain, but the physical issues that have resulted, um, I just don't have any stamina some days. I'm very depressed a lot of the times when I wake up and it's a bad pain day. Um, I also was exposed to an environmental toxin recently that made me more ill. Um, just out there in the world, it was just by chance. It's just, it's very damaging to a person like me who already has liver disease and other issues like that. Um, uh, we've had a little bit of problems in our relationship, me and Ray. Um, they're not totally interpersonal between us. They have a lot to do with life circumstances of his and, you know, somewhat mine that happened before we met and they're still playing out. 
and they're very stressful and they make us sad and angry and frustrated and we don't have a lot of time together and we're never alone. He's a single dad, period. And he doesn't have anyone else in his life to, you know, provide childcare. So we are, you know, uh, all together all the time and just have to deal with it. This is diametrically opposed to what the relationship was when we met and started dating. His life was totally different and we really just were able to go have fun and heal and, you know, get to know each other and just feel alive again. We'd both gotten out of really bad situations. Of course, I was widowed and he had a very toxic relationship he had just gotten out of. And we had a great time. And then the terms changed. And I, who frequently or slash always knows all of the escape routes, not just in a building or a room that I'm in, but in the situations I'm in, there are very few things in which I have never just gritted my heels and said, I've got to get the fuck out. And strangely, uh, one of the biggest ones was Mike, obviously. I never considered walking away from him. And I got I can't even tell you how dark the days got. I can't even describe them to you. Um, I remember every bit of them, but I believe that people who don't naturally uh, go down certain roads don't even need to hear the details or see the details of those roads. Just keep yourself spared and safe. I never considered walking away from him. But then I realized that a lot of that reason, not I totally, totally loved and adored him. Anybody who knew him could tell you how lovable he was. He was a wonderful person, a little buddy to go through life with. He really was. I love watching stuff with him. I love going places with him. I love cuddling with him, watching movies, getting high. He just, he was the best, the best little buddy in the world to go through the life we were in together. And that's how we felt about each other. And we clung to each other like, you know, rats floating in the sewer. You know, that's literally how it was. And I didn't consider leaving it because I was just as bad off. I thought it was loyalty. I thought it was me pulling for him. I thought it was whatever. It was that. But the stronger thing was we were both fucked in the same way. We were in the same leaking boat. His end was going down faster. But the the whole fucking boat was going to go down. And, you know, that's the way it was. I didn't get out of the boat, people. I was pulled out of the boat by Judge Victor Haddad of the Claremont County Common Pleas Court. Thank you again, Judge Haddad. Thank you again and again and again. I've been told I cannot write you a letter because they will think there's anthrax in it. They'll probably destroy it. But if I could write you a letter, I would. And my letter to you right now is thank you for saving my life for my kids, my family, and everyone. Thank you, Judge. Anyway, um, all this was going on. Uh, The problems that I was having, you know, in real life with the relationship or the health or whatever was eclipsed by me suddenly freaking out like, oh my God, I'm really stressed and unhappy. What the fuck happened? I'm in recovery. I did everything right. I'm not doing drugs, whatever, whatever. And here I have to go another direction real quickly. Uh, I had several people ask me during the hiatus, and these are not listeners, really. These are people who are aware that I do a podcast and that I'm recovering and are probably concerned about me from that angle. The people would ask me, when are you going to get back on the podcast? Aren't you afraid people are going to think that you relapsed and you're on drugs again and you took their money for the startup and blah, blah, blah. And I sat and thought, no, I never once thought that because I know I didn't relapse And anyone who really knows me knows I didn't relapse. 
and I'm doing what's best for me. And this is a podcast about recovery. So I need to redesign it. So in a way that is less onerous to me so that I can handle it and not feel that it's a drudgery. I want to keep my passion in it. That's what I thought when I was asked that. And then I thought back over that and I thought, that's fucking ridiculous, Lindsay. No one who knows you, even who knows you the best then, now, whoever, no one knows you won't relapse. You've done so many fucked up things you said you were or weren't going to do over the years. How could anyone know you're not going to relapse? People can look at you and be like, oh my God, she would be such a fool. This is her last chance, last chance. You know, her parents have done so much for her. Her ex-husband stands by her still. You know, she has all this going for her, her kids. She's never lost her kids. She got her license back. But it doesn't matter. You know why? Because another thing that happened uh, in that time period was I had been planning a really big four-part show with um, eight women, two per show, uh, telling their stories. They were all different. I was happy with the variety that I got. I was happy with the willingness of my guests to participate. And in the space of about a week, uh, five out of eight of the women uh, went back to jail on probation violations or did something else that indicated to me they were still fucking up in some way. And let me reiterate, when I booked these people, I, these are people that have been sober for a long time, are doing way different things than they were, like working when they never worked, having their children back and parenting them, yada, yada, yada. I had adjudicated them on the level with me. And therefore I thought it was safe to not only present their stories to you, but to be around them physically. Okay. I was wrong about those people. So I realized that I need to reevaluate a lot of things. I had to reevaluate if uh, my relationship I'm in is healthy for me, had to reevaluate thinking about all the things I'm doing now versus other situations in the past that, quote, haven't worked, um, and just learning what history really means. You know, I, I'm a person who is, you know, pretty well educated and even better educated on my own. I like to talk about a lot of subjects and, you know, opine about issues and things like that. And I often say that, you know, if you don't look at history, it's doomed to repeat. We're headed toward the Roman Empire. Just look at this, this, and this, as opposed to this, this, and this. And people are like, oh my God, that's so true. No one's looking at history. Well, uh, in that case, the no one also included me. So once again, I'm not even going to say my disclaimer anymore because I'm not going to be giving advice, advice. I'm not going to be having professional guests. I'm not going to be doing diddly do and the other. I'm going to pare this down and give you what I think you want, which is just me, my voice, my outlook, and what I'm going through. The best uh, ranking episode I have ever revealed, released, whatever the hell, according to my statistics, is the crystal bonus feature where I went off the cuff of what I was planning on doing and interrupted my own broadcast to give you an update on something I had a realization about. Um, Curiously, that episode was least well-received by my audience, who I define as people who are listening just because it's me and I'm their niece or their, you know, co-worker formerly or whatever. That didn't go over well with those people. They didn't understand that. So that just tells me further that the audience that is looking for me, not that I'm looking for, is looking for an authentic experience from me because it's me. 
I am a natural teacher. I'm a natural helper. Uh, I'm a natural student. I'm naturally curious, but I can't be everything to everyone. I never could, didn't realize it, and I still can't. I can be it even less now because of the limitations that I have. Like I'm way better in some ways, way worse in others that are still very important. So I'm still not even at a baseline. My life is always at a seesaw. You know, when you have a mood disorder, they talk about finding your baseline. Um, you know, how happy or sad are you just every old day? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, don't, I don't have many days that are just floating down the lazy Mississippi. I don't know if other people do because I cannot relate to anyone except people who think and act the way I do, who have my particular challenges. I can understand them, but I can't embrace them on, on, from the inside out. I don't know what my baseline is. I never have. I have been experimented upon with numerous medications for like over 30 years now. Uh, I have medicated myself with everything from narcotics to, you know, what I call teenage drugs, psychedelic drugs, prescription pain pills, um, laxatives, diet pills. I, I have tried to tweak myself a million different ways. And it took until I was... Um, not even when I was incarcerated, it wasn't right. It took until I was released last year for me to get on the exact right doses and combinations of medications. Um, so that can be a long struggle for some people. And I would just want to suggest something to anyone who is either taking medication or thinking about getting medication. Please ask your doctor for a DNA test first. It is called GeneSight, G-E-N-E. S-I-G-H-T. It's a test that will show uh, what medications are indicated for you in like a green zone, a yellow zone, and a red zone. It'll tell you drugs that you should never take, they won't work for you, and they will cause adverse effects. I did not have this test until I was 45 years old. Uh, and I had been given cocktails of drugs over and over and over for all those years. And nothing really worked. Um, as a matter of fact, I even got a massive kidney blockage that had to be removed by opening my back up from taking the drug Topamax off-label. It was prescribed to me as a mood stabilizer. It's really for migraines, and it gave me a massive kidney stone. I don't read those, you know, big, long, huge pamphlets. It looks like everything can cause diarrhea, vomiting, liver, kidney problems. I mean, it literally does say that in every single one. I just didn't read it. Then I'm in excruciating pain, septic, and I'm about to die at 5 a.m. in the hospital going to emergency surgery. And then they said, do you want an autopsy on the stone? I said, yeah, hell yeah, let's do an autopsy. 100% topiramate, which is Topamax. So do the gene site test and reduce the, you know, animal testing that's done on you for medications. It's very discouraging for people. Uh, it's very hard to go through all the side effects, all the placebo effects, all the desperately wanting to feel better, but not sure if you actually do or not really fucking sure what feeling good even feels like. Like when I took ecstasy for the first time, I guess I was like 21, 22 and I took it with two girlfriends. We were sitting on the front steps of, um, a house where all our boyfriends lived and we're just sitting here. I don't feel anything. Nothing's happening. This is bullshit. We got fake shit. And then all of a sudden we all came on at the same time and we're looking at each other like, I love you. You're beautiful. And if you've ever heard a song, I cannot think who does it, but it's a song from the nineties. It's called lay back in the sun and it's really trippy. That starts playing in your brain. That to me was 
happiness as I had conceptualized it and wanted to feel it. And it really is that. It floods your brain with serotonin, which I have in a, you know, like a dripping faucet of serotonin. I have none. And it, it was a desert. And then this ecstasy just rained the serotonin around. I'm like, I am happy in this moment. And it does last a little while the first time. But anyone who does any drug, especially something like that, knows that any other time you're not going to get even near as high. Even if the stuff is better, your brain already got fucked that one time. So it's never going to really get you where you're trying to be, but you'll spend thousands of dollars trying to get there. I promise. Anyway, I digress. Um, I also had another couple of things happen along the lines of the people that, um, disappointed me and let me down, which I shouldn't have had any stock in this in the first place. I care in general about people recovering and getting help. Obviously, my life has been profoundly limited and affected by mental health and the addiction it led to and the other addictions it led to. I would love to educate people about what I go through, educate people's parents so they can recognize what might be going on with their kids, partners, whatever. But ultimately, I don't really care if an individual makes it or not, because I cannot care about that any longer. The only individual I need to care about making it is me. And if I make it, and if I become a counselor, finish school, do all this, all that, go into my field, keep doing this, keep doing other, uh, you know, forms of outreach or service that have to do with this, then I'm going to probably help other people make it too, just by me making it. But first, I have to make it. And I never understand that. I want to build everyone up around me, you know, more than me. And it's not even, I don't even do that cunningly. I don't even do it so they can flip back and take care of me. I just do it because I put others before me. You know, that's, that's all there is to it. I had to reevaluate why I was doing everything because even though I was mimicking the moves of success that I've learned in rehab and I've watched with other people who have succeeded, it just, some of it wasn't resonating with me. I wasn't sure if I was really doing healthy behaviors deep down inside and I didn't feel that I could have the credibility to come and talk to you all while I was still reevaluating that and reevaluating the direction of the project I'm doing, which I have, and I've redesigned it and I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, then it's the same as it was before. It just doesn't appeal to you and I will move on and you'll move on. That, that statement alone is massive for me. I am normally not able to say a statement like, if you don't like it, uh, that's fine. And we'll just both move on separately. And that's for so many reasons. It's because I've been, you know, victim of a really serious stalker for a long time. I do not conceptualize the idea of people just walking away and being cool. Um, I also have obvious abandonment issues because of my, you know, diagnoses and the things I've gone through in my life. Um, I don't want people to leave me and I will do anything to pre prevent them from that generally. And that's not what I want to do anymore. I have thrown darts, so many darts at the wall, hoping to hit something, hoping to find someone who felt like family, who understood me, who wanted me, who wasn't going to take my money rate me, take advantage of me. You know, I was putting too many lines out there, you know, and say, you know, say you put 50 fishing poles in the water. Um, you know, they all start tugging a little bit and you run over the one that looks like it's tugging. And then another one tugs real big. And then you try to get there. That one's gone on and on and on. That's what I've spent my whole life doing. 
putting a shitload of fishing lines in the water and then not being able to catch any of them. No matter how big they were, no matter what a perfect big ass fish I could take a picture with, couldn't hold on to it. So a couple of friends disappointed me during this time too. I had a friend who I've known for like three years, a really good friend, neighbor where I used to live, helped me a ton, loved the guy. He was a good guy, like a good, good guy, older guy. Um, and, and hear what I'm saying older, he's younger than I am. I mean, he was older than 25. Okay. That's what I mean when I say an older guy, older than 25. Um, anyway, he was just a really good friend. I haven't been able to be in touch with him so much since I, uh, you know, was incarcerated and afterward because, uh, I haven't had transportation. I don't have, uh, you know, the wherewithal to get there. I don't have the wherewithal to help him the way I know he needs now. His life had gone way south since I moved away, but he wouldn't totally be honest with me about the reasons. So he contacted me and needed, um, you know, some help with clothes, hygiene, this, that, the other, you know, he really has had a lot of misfortune, but he won't admit the role that, you know, some of his lifestyle has in it. Even though I didn't believe he was using, uh, something was going on. He was still hanging around like women who use or, you know, some, just somebody, there was something tainting it. I could always tell by the way he talked and the problems and whatever. So I set up a time to go out there and deliver a whole bunch of stuff, you know, take him out to lunch or something, um, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, I knew he really needed somebody and needed to see someone, but I just, it didn't work out. I was going to borrow my boyfriend's car and go there. And then the battery was dead that day. It didn't work out. It's really far away anyway, whatever. So I explained to him that I was going to have to reschedule it. And he flipped out on me and eventually said, if you don't come out here and spend time with me, I really need you, then I'm going to come find you. And that just really struck me because number one, this isn't that kind of guy at all. Number two, uh, he knows the situation that I was in. Um, I basically lost my entire life because of someone who told me if they couldn't have me, uh, they'll kill me. Or if ever I go anywhere, they're going to come find me. Just having someone say that to me again, uh, pretty much really fucked me up. And from there, I sort of started to think about other incidents of people I'm still talking to because they were supposedly in recovery or they were doing all this and all that. I sort of started reviewing some other weird things that had gone on that I had, you know, just passed over. And I suddenly knew that I was still casting my net too wide. I was still caring about people who don't intend to change. I was still being used, uh, just, a little bit more sweetly and with more finesse. Um, And I was still putting too much of my heart and effort out there where it is absolutely futile. And I know it's futile because it was just proven to me in the past month and a half to be futile for like six or seven people I really believed in. So um, I just had to refocus my efforts on me and my immediate circle. I've always had a huge problem with that. And that's why I couldn't resist involving outreach in a lot of this program when I first developed it. And I have realized and had to realize that I am not ready for that yet. You know, I've been sober for a long time and I've achieved a lot, but it's still not far away in the rear view. It, the feelings come back too quickly and I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not healed enough to be that available to people who might be really, really struggling. I would love to talk to you in the way that I talk to you. I say it, you hear it, 
And then there are minimal ways in which we can interact after that. And they're all safe for me. So that's what I'm doing with this going forward. Um, I cut my circle down. I deleted and blocked maybe 400 people off of my messenger. It took me four days to do that. You have to block them one by one. I don't even know who, there were literally probably 50 people on there who I don't even know who they were when I read the names. I would sit here and think, oh yeah, that's the guy I did a notary for. That's the guy who uh, sold me a kitten. You know, just too many people had access to me and too many people, I don't know who they are. Too many people who were dead and I left their accounts on my Facebook. I don't know who's controlling that. You know, too many people who are clearly just watching me and don't interact with me and people who have contact with people I don't want around me. It just, it was too much. So I locked it all down, changed my group, changed everything. And I am so happy. I don't talk to anyone, but the people I need to talk to my family, my boyfriend, my professionals who take care of me and, you know, people that I know I can trust who never, ever, ever used with me or fucked me over. Like I somehow don't understand that I really, really don't owe anyone anything. Like I really don't owe them anything. There are still a few things that I am clinging to that I shouldn't be. Um, so it was very important for me to take that time and, you know, get through it. Um, so where the podcast is going, um, I'm trying to return to my old self. You know, like uh, everyone's probably this way, but for me especially, when I am, you know, going through something, the music I'm listening to can tell you which me is upset. If I'm listening to classic rock, then Lindsay, who's like under 15, is upset. The real me, the the little me. If I'm listening to, you know, Nirvana and, you know, Radiohead and all the shit from like my 20s when I was real upset, you know, that's the Lindsay that's upset. If I'm listening to really hardcore gangster shit, I'm really angry in a street way. <laughs> and if I'm listening to sad shit like Juice World and, you know, Lil Baby and, and all that, then uh, the other part of, of street Lindsay is upset. And I want to encourage some parts of me to, to fade away. And I never wanted to do that. You know, they always say the street changes you. You'll never lose that. That is true. I'll never lose it. It's always going to be in there in my mind. And the things that I've done that fucked things up, not only, you know, in the legal system, but, you know, messages I've sent people or things I've done, it's, it's all never going to go away. And I'm not afraid of anything, but I'm sure not proud of it. And for me to continue to exhibit the tastes, the speech, the habits of someone I really want to get the fuck away from me, which is the old me, um, that that's not conducive. If I keep feeding that person, they will remain. It's just like feeding a stray cat. So I've been trying to channel my activities into things that the me who was on a way better track did. Um, I'm looking to feel the way that I have felt contentment in the past before I got into hard drugs and, you know, dangerous criminal living. And I'm trying to find a sense of belonging now and examining what would make me feel loved, affirmed, safe, and healthy now. Um, I've been re watching a lot of true crime in my hiatus. 
True crime has been a passion of mine my entire life. I snuck into my mother's uh, library and started reading books when I was about 10 years old. I was always an insomniac. I had a pen flashlight that my poppy had given me from his hospital, and I read uh, books under the covers when I was supposed to be in bed. And so I've been watching a lot of um, true crime catching up on all the new great Netflix documentaries about newer cases that I love. And I, I mean, I haven't been able to watch TV before this for years, you know, never in one place. Um, you know, can't pay attention, don't have a TV, whatever. Uh, homelessness does not honestly, uh, bode for a lot of free lazy time. I know a lot of people think that, that, uh, the homeless are, are lazy bums and they just beg and lay there and get high all day. Um, some of them do sure, but somebody in their life is out there humping and bumping from morning till night to make it happen for them, to make them have a roof, make them have food. You know, you've got to work hard to survive out there. I'm not a lazy person. I might look lazy now compared to what I used to do, but physically I can't do those things. Physically, I can't do them. Mentally, I can't do some of the other things. I do as much as I'm capable of now in the way that I'm capable of doing it, but I'm not lazy and I've never been lazy. Nobody knows what I'm working on up here or what I've always been working on. And I've had a lot of success in my life. I've had success legitimately and I've had success illegitimately. The bottom line, the message to me that I really wasn't getting is I can do it. I can do it right and I can do it wrong. So I have to really make a concerted effort to pick a side and go on that side. I don't like to pick sides. I like to straddle the line, you know. I like to leave an option open for everything, everyone, give everything a fair chance. You know, that's a nice idea and it has practical applications in real human interest issues. But the way that I apply not making choices is nothing but, you know, the total lack of being productive. I mean, th those are the ways in which I can't make choices. I don't want to hurt anyone, don't want to ace myself out of a better thing, um, don't want to make someone feel bad or overly good, don't want to give them satisfaction. It's just, it, it's a bunch of stupid emotional interjections to the simple process of making a fucking decision that is good for me. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do is be, as they say in rehab, mindful. You know, they say a bunch of things in rehab and everyone who's been there can relate to it. Each different place has its own little saying that you say, but they're all hilarious and we make fun of them when we first get there. Like, this is so fucking gay. And then everyone's saying it uh, by the end. You know, <laughs> one of these things is, can we please be mindful um, of blah, 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 blah. And this will extend not just to group therapy sessions, but to on the weekend when we're watching a movie, say someone is getting too loud. Can we please be mindful of the movie? Some people are watching the movie. And just so you know, on an average movie on a weekend in prison or rehab, um, in, in each movie, I'm saying we watch the movies for like eight or nine hours. In each movie, there will be approximately five um, women turning around with escalating levels of bitchness. Can we please be mindful of the movie? The first girl will say, and then can we please be mindful of the movie? Can we just act civilized for once? We're trying to watch a movie. We're lucky we get to watch movies. This is prison. Can we be mindful of the movie? And you know, there, there are tons of sayings like that. I, they're hilarious. Um, I just think this is the, the funniest one. I probably already told this because it's so funny, but where I went, uh, the Monday Correctional Center, I don't know if this is uh, 
a Dayton thing or just a place, a thing of that place. But what they did there was literally everything you would say or do the whole place to go. Yeah, you did. Like if you say, I got my GED, the whole place. Yeah, you did. And then they, they would let us have ice twice a day to put, you know, our commissary drinks or water or whatever. And someone would go get ice from the ice machine, carry it back in a cooler and then say, I'm passing ice. And then, yeah, you are. You're passing. They're affirming that you're passing the ice. It's just, it's so funny. When you get into a situation like that, it just, it, it just started tickling my fancy right now. When you get into an institutional situation like that, they know who they're dealing with. Okay. We're a bunch of bitches from the street. Um, whether we belong there, whether we came from there, we were doing some street shit because we're felons and we're there period. So they make their little things, just sayings and taglines. Like we say on the street, like, you know, you go girl. Yeah, you are. You know what I'm saying? Like you get into it. You feel like you feel it's affirming. It's actually genius, but it's also hilarious when you take it apart. I'm passing ice. Yeah, you are. (laughs) I don't know. It's, you would have to be there in a way, but I hope you can understand how absurd yet effective that is. Um, I've been watching a lot of true crime. Duh, that's where I started. Uh, I watched an amazing documentary on Netflix about a fairly high profile, really mysterious case. I'm not going to name the case because there is a lot of weird stuff going on with it. And there are too many groups of people who could be offended. Um, I do have to be mindful of that because... I know exactly what's out there. I know exactly how many factions of people, what they take offense to, what they could view as, you know, some unforgivable act and come shoot you. You know, I, I do kind of, um, I do kind of need to say less and I'm saying less. So I'm not going to name the case, but, uh, the girl who was the subject of the true crime case, she was active on the internet during her lifetime. She was active on Tumblr and many other things. She made, um, a post that was poignant to me. She made a ton of posts, but it said, um, it's a big world out there. I haven't seen very much of it. So I really want to get out and do it. I want to see everything. I don't know what I would do without you, Tumblr. I just, I don't know who would listen to all of my fears, my fallacies, my quirks, like who really cares, but you're here for me. And when I press publish, I get an immense sense of satisfaction. I would love for a stranger to come talk to me. She had planned to go on a, you know, kind of a countrywide trip to find herself. She said, I would love for a stranger to come talk to me, but often I'm not in control of what I'm saying. I take it too far. I have no filter and I obscure how pure my heart and my motives are and I scare people off. And there are a lot of things about this case that resonated with me. Number one, the root of a lot of it was the internet and the internet presence and the accessibility to her. And another underlying uh, huge issue was she was mentally ill. And there is great speculation and even, you know, toxicological certainty that she was off her medication at the time she decided to do the soul searching trip. So with this complicated case, and it is very complicated, um, the way it sort of comes back all down to it is she was mentally ill and she wasn't on her meds and all these things that surrounded her, all the extra shit that threw the investigation in a million directions, all the people who were involved, all the concepts, all the ideas, the theories, every single one of those things was because of 
her exposure to others and their exposure to her. You know what I'm saying? She had so many people in her life because she was out there looking for someone who cared. And for all the consequences that I have suffered by doing the same thing in my life, I didn't pay the ultimate price. I'm still alive. So it's so important for me to look at how I've tried and failed, even though I hate looking at how I've failed. It's empowering because then I just know, don't do it again. You know, it's hard to look at the mistakes I've made repeatedly, even though I know in the back of my mind what they are. It's just like when you know you're in debt and the mail comes, you have an idea in your head that you probably owe like $1,700 because you've looked at it for one second, one time, and then shoved it back in the envelope. But the envelope just keeps coming and you don't want to look at it. You know, it's probably even gotten bigger. You know, that's the way in which I viewed my past mistakes. They're obviously there because I'm living, uh, living the consequences right now, but I don't want to look at them too closely, <laughs> you know, but, but I have to, I have to, I have to examine what everyone who caused me a huge loss has in common and who is, is like them that's still around me. And if they're around me, why? The bottom line is I'm just tired of being hurt by anything especially me. So I just had to regroup for a minute. I'm still totally committed to this project, but what I'm most committed to is making this project actually about me, suit me, be therapeutic for me and serve me in my recovery, serve the reasons that I'm doing it and not pull in extra shit. I am so very bad at that. I am the queen of extra shit. If you're throwing something away that I think is completely good, um, even if I'm not really interested in it, I just know its value. I, I want it. I do not want you to throw it away. I will do something with it. I will resell it. I'm not a hoarder, but I don't like items of value given away. And, and again, that all goes back to me. Don't give me away. I'm an item of value. Just see it. See my value. And I'm not doing that anymore either. There are a lot of things that I've decided I'm just not going to do anymore. And I'm not going to get into, um, like, I don't know, maybe the 20 more minutes I had planned here because it's gone long enough. I've gone off the cuff because I'm not writing a, a tight, tight, tight script anymore. I'm writing an outline of things I want to cover and then I'm just talking extemporaneously. I don't care if it sounds less professional. Um, I don't care if people think, oh, she sounds like she's on drugs. I, I'm on the drugs that I was on before. I'm on the same drugs I was on when I was talking to you previously. Um, I have not relapsed. I don't intend to relapse. It's not in my heart anymore to relapse, but that's really just the first step really is getting the craving away to use and learning to find your place again. I just sort of very optimistically put myself a little bit ahead of where I actually was because while my behavior is towing the line, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not relapsing. I'm not consorting with people I shouldn't be, but my head wasn't all the way there. I still had destructive thoughts and they're not thoughts of relapsing. They're not thoughts of cheating on my boyfriend. They're not that crap. It's just, there were things that still niggled in my mind that I knew had the power to push me in a certain direction and into a certain mood mentally that I would have a hard time getting out of. That's basically what it was. So I've decided that what I'm going to do here on my show, um, is have it be my show. Uh, I've always been 
interested in vignettes. If you do not know what a vignette is, it is, um, in photographic terms, it's those old fashioned pictures where they blur out everything but an oval with the person's face. It's a vignette of the picture just featuring the face. Um, vignettes as far as decorating are little nooks in a room, like a reading nook. That's very charming and, you know, different from the rest of the room. I love to arrange food. I love to entertain. I like making little delightful aesthetic, um, aesthetically pleasing and emotionally stirring things to comfort and delight people. For example, I used to put fresh flowers in vases in the spare rooms of my trap house for guests. I won't repeat that. You heard me. So I'm going to be giving you vignettes, um, my poetry, my music that I like, stories that have happened to me, stories that have happened to a friend, anything, anything that I think was significant in my life, what gave me comfort, what gave me destruction, um, just sharing it. And honestly, uh, it's also going to be a pretty big testament to how someone with several mood disorders lives their daily life. I mean, how, how can I paint a picture better than just, you know, paint by numbers? You know, how can I paint a picture for you better than just letting you see uh, what, what I'm going through at a given time, what I say, my attitude, the tone of my voice, the things I tell you, that's going to be my work. And as they say, I, I, am very interested in, in canine officers. I love working dogs and I love canines. I follow them on Facebook. I tell them they're a good boy. I listen to the last radio call. You know, when they do a video about a last call, if a, if a, if a canine officer has, has, died or they're retiring. I love them. And the motto of a canine officer is let my work speak for me. And I think that's just, it's so touching to me, not only on the point of the dogs and, and, and what service they do and how wonderful and dedicated they are. And when they finally become pets, they almost don't know what to do. They've always been of service, but I'm just going to let my work speak for me. And I'm just going to give a quick shout out to a friend. <laughs> I, one of the reasons I really wanted to stop talking to people I knew before is because I no longer wanted to find out when my friends died. It's been so many times. My son said, you know, maybe a couple months ago, gosh, mom, I'm so sorry. It seems like a lot of your friends have died. <laughs> and that's just the kind of astute, wonderful, sensitive thing my son says. It's just a touching, astute observation that hits me right in the heart. My son and I have a very special connection. And I thought, yeah, I hardly knew anyone who had died before, you know, five or six years ago. Like a couple of my classmates died. I, I heard about it. I went to one of their funerals. That's actually what started all this bullshit, someone I saw there. Um... But I just, you know, my grandparents died. That was horrible. That, you know, caused a, a major slip in my life too. Uh, other family members, but not really contemporaries. And for the past, you know, five years, ah, uh, shit. Uh, help me out, someone out there. Didn't we usually lose about five to seven people a month? And I'm not just talking, you know, random people that you may have heard of once. I'm talking people that you knew, knew, knew that were a big part of our community, so to speak. Dead, 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 dead. Now, the other day, um, because I am still friends with 
you know, a friend that I knew from out there who's completely and totally awesome, successful now, and it's been a big help. I found out that, um, my old buddy, Adam Hart passed away. Adam is somebody that I met maybe the first couple weeks I was out there. And he's, he's just the most unique guy. Yeah. He was a bad drug addict, obviously. There's no reason he would have, you know, slunk around and worked as hard as he did, did the dirty jobs, knew everything that you needed to know to get by out there, helped everybody. No one ever helped him the way that he helped other people. I really felt a kinship with him. You know, he would, he would sometimes message me in the middle of the night in the dead of winter. He was out in Sardinia. Uh, there's, you know, he's got one bar on his phone. It's, you know, five degrees. He got thrown out of a car. Like that's the kind of shit that happens to a lot of people out there, but it happened to him a lot. And he was a good dude. Okay. So, um, gosh, (laughs) he was like my, my associate, like my vice president. I mean, we got through a lot of things together. We solved a lot of problems and I'm not just saying we ran a lot of drugs together. I'm saying we solved a lot of problems. That's what he and I did out there. And everyone knew to call, and they did. Whenever Adam would call me, it started this way. Question. And he would ask me a very specific thing about, you know, something out there going on and how we could fix it. And I had the answer. And anytime I had something really tough, call him. I need you. And he'd be right there. Uh, So Adam W. Hart, no middle name, just W., uh, also known as AJ Hart. I don't know how old you were. I feel like you might've been 26 or seven, but you'd already gone through it for a long time. So I was always surprised you weren't older, but you were young and I don't know how you died, but I'm assuming the way I do with other people that I heard they died at an early age. Adam, I'm glad you're at peace. I'm glad you're not running around and left outside at night. I'm glad you're not getting called a a snitch. I'm glad that you're not looking for a roof. I'm glad you aren't getting your heart ripped out by the dope horse that you loved so much. And no, I'm not apologizing for that. He got his heart ripped out more times than I can count by the worst of the worst. Why can't you see this, Adam? He asked the same of me. (laughs) So rest in peace, my buddy, Adam Hart. I'll miss you. Even though I don't want to miss anything like that, I'll miss you. Rest in peace, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for listening and sticking with me, everyone. Um, I'm no longer saying I hope you find something valuable in my sign-off. I've been begging for someone to find value in me every move, every day of my life, and I'm not going to beg anymore. It's hate speech towards me, I decided. So, with all my heart, I wish you be well. Be healthy, love your people, love yourself today, and I am back and I will be back. So see you next time. Thanks for sticking with me. Love you guys.